Chapter thirty five of Lorna Doone. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Daisy fifty five. Lorna Doone by R. D. Blackmore. Chapter thirty five. Ruth is not like Lorna although by our mother's reluctant consent a large part of the obstacles between annie and her lover appeared to be removed on the other hand lorna and myself gained little except as regarded comfort of mind and some ease to the conscience moreover our chance of frequent meetings and delightful converse was much impaired at least for the present because though mother was not aware of my narrow escape from carver doone she made me promise never to risk my life by needless visits and upon this point that is to say the necessity of the visit she was well content as she said to leave me to my own good sense and honour only begging me always to tell her of my intention beforehand this pledge however for her own sake i declined to give knowing how wretched she would be during all the time of my absence and on that account i promised instead that i would always give her a full account of my adventure upon returning now my mother as might be expected began at once to cast about for some means of relieving me from all further peril and herself from great anxiety she was full of plans for fetching Lorna, in some wonderful manner, out of the power of the dunes entirely, and into her own hands, where she was to remain for at least a twelfth month, learning all Mother and Annie could teach her of dairy business, and farmhouse life, and the best mode of packing butter. And all this arose from my happening to say, without meaning anything, how the poor dear had longed for quiet and a life of simplicity and a rest away from violence bless thee mother now long in heaven there is no need to bless thee but it often makes a dimness now in my well-worn eyes when i think of thy loving kindness warmth and romantic innocence as to stealing my beloved from that vile glendune the deed itself was not possible nor beyond my daring but in the first place would she come leaving her old grandfather to die without her attendance and even if through fear of carver and that wicked counsellor she should consent to fly would it be possible to keep her without a regiment of soldiers would not the dunes at once ride forth to scour the country for their queen and finding her as they must do burn our house murder us and carry her back triumphantly all this i laid before my mother and to such effect that she acknowledged with a sigh that nothing else remained for me in the present state of matters except to keep a careful watch upon lorna from safe distance observe the policy of the dunes and wait for a tide in their affairs meanwhile i might even fall in love as mother unwisely hinted with a certain more peaceful harris although of inferior blood who would be daily at my elbow i am not sure but what dear mother herself would have been disappointed had i proved myself so fickle and my disdain and indignation at the mere suggestion did not so much displease her 
for she only smiled and answered. Well, it is not for me to say, God knows what is good for us. Likings will not come to order, otherwise I should not be where I am this day. And of one thing I am rather glad, Uncle Reuben well deserves that his pet scheme should miscarry. He who called my boy coward, and in Goble coward, because he would not join some crack brain plan against the valley which sheltered his beloved one. And all the time this dreadful coward, risking his life daily there, without a word to anyone, how glad I am that you will not have, for all her miserable money, that little dwarfish granddaughter of the insolent old miser. She turned, and by her side was standing poor Ruth Huckleback herself, white and sad, and looking steadily at my mother's face, which became as red as a plum, while her breath deserted her. If you please, madam, said the little maiden with her large, calm eyes unwavering, it is not my fault, but God's Almighty, that I am a little dwarfish creature. I knew not that you regarded me with so much contempt on that account. Neither have you told my grandfather, at least within my hearing, that he was an insolent old miser. When I returned to Doverton, which I trust to do tomorrow, for it is too late today, I shall be careful not to tell him your opinion of him, lest I should thaw any schemes you may have upon his property. I thank you all for your kindness to me, which has been very great, far more than a little dwarfish creature could, for own sake. Expect, I will only add, for your further guidance, one more little truth. It is by no means certain that my grandfather will settle any of his miserable money upon me. If I offend him, as I would in a moment, for the sake of a brave and straightforward man. Here, she gave me a glance which I scarcely knew what to do. My grandfather, upright as he is, would leave me without a shilling, and I often wish it were so. So many miseries come upon me from the miserable money. Here she broke down, and burst out crying, and ran away with a faint goodbye, while we three looked at one another, and felt that we had the worst of it. Impudent little dwarf, said my mother, recovering her breath after ever so long. Oh, John, how thankful you ought to be. What a life she would have led you. Well, I am sure, said Annie, throwing her arms around poor mother. Who could have thought that little Tommy has such an outrageous spirit? For my part, I cannot think how she can have been sly enough to hide it in that crafty manner, that John might think her an angel. Well, for my part, I answered laughingly, I never admired Ruth Huckleback half, or a quarter so much before. She is rare stuff. I would have been glad to have married her tomorrow, if I had never seen my Lorna and a nice nobody i should have been in my own house cried mother i never
can be thankful enough to darling Lorna for saving me. Did you see how her eyes flashed? That I did, and very fine they were. Now nine maidens out of ten would have fiend not to have heard one word that was said, and have borne black malice in their heart. Come, Annie, now, would not you have done so? I think, said Annie, although of course I cannot tell, you know, John, that I should have been ashamed at hearing what was never meant for me, and should have been almost as angry with myself as anybody. So would you, replied my mother, so any daughter of mine would have done, instead of railing and reveling. However, I am very sorry that any words of mine which the poor little thing chose to overhear should have made her so forget herself. I shall beg her pardon before she goes, and I shall expect her to beg mine. That she never will do, said I, a more resolute little maiden never yet had right upon her side although it was a mere accident i might have said the same thing myself and she was hard upon you mother dear after this we said no more at least about that matter and little ruth the next morning left us in spite of all that we could do she vowed an everlasting friendship to my younger sister elijah but she looked at Annie with some resentment when they said good-bye for being so much taller. At any rate, so Annie fancied, but she may have been quite wrong. I rode beside the little maid till far beyond Exford, when all danger of the moor was past, and then I left her with John Fry, not wishing to be too particular after all the talk about her money. She had tears in her eyes when she bade me farewell and she sent a kind message home to mother and promised to come again at christmas if she could win permission upon the whole my opinion was that she had behaved uncommonly well for a maid whose self-love was outraged with spirit i mean and proper pride and yet with a great endeavour to forgive which is meseems the hardest of all things to a woman outside of her own family after this for another month nothing worthy of notice happened except the course that i found it needful according to the strictest good sense and honour to visit lorna immediately after my discourse with mother and to tell her all about it my beauty gave me one sweet kiss with all her heart as she always did when she kissed it all and i begged for one more to take to our mother and before leaving i obtained it it is not for me to tell all she said even supposing what is not likely that any one cared to know it being more and more particular to ourselves and no one else but one thing that she said was this and i took good care to carry it word for word to my mother and annie i never can believe dear john that after all the crime and outrage wrought by my reckless family it ever can be meant for me to settle down to peace and comfort in a simple household with all my heart i long for home any home 
however dull and wearisome, to those used to it, would seem a paradise to me, if only free from brawl and tumult, and such as I could call my own. But even if God would allow me this, in lieu of my wild inheritance, it is quite certain that the dunes never can and never will. Again, when I told my mother how Mother and Annie, as well as myself, longed to have her at Plowless Borrows and teach her all the quiet duties in which she was sure to take delight, she only answered with a bright blush that while her grandfather was living she would never leave him and that even if she were free certain ruin was all she could bring to any house that received her at least within the utmost reach of her amicable family this was too plain to be denied and seeing my deduction at it she told me bravely that we must hope for better times if possible and asked how long i would wait for her not a day if i had my will i answered very warmly at which she turned away confused and would not look at me for a while but all my life i went on to say if my fortune is so ill and how long would you wait for me lorna till i could get you she answered slyly with a smile which was brighter to me than the brightest wit could be and now she continued you bound me john with a very beautiful ring to you and when i dare not wear it i carry it always in my heart but i will bind you to me you dearest with the very poorest and plainest thing that ever you set eyes on i could give you fifty fair ones but they would not be honest and i love you for your honesty and nothing else of course john so don't be con conceited look at it what a queer old thing there are some ancient marks upon it very grotesque and wonderful it looks like a cat in a tree almost but never mind what it looks like this old ring must have been a giant's therefore it will fit you perhaps you enormous john it has been on the front of my old glass necklace, which my grandfather found them taken away and very soon made them give back again. Ever since I can remember, and long before that, as some woman told me, now you seem very greatly amazed. Pray, what thinks my lord of it? That is worth fifty of the pearl thing which I gave you, you darling, and that I will not take it from you. Then you will never take me. That is all. I will have nothing to do with a gentleman. No gentleman? Dear, a yeoman? Very well. A yeoman. Nothing to do with a yeoman who will not accept my love gauge. So if you please, give it back again, and take your lovely ring back. She looked at me in such a manner, half in earnest, half in jest, and three times three in love, that in spite of all good resolutions and her own faint protests, I was forced to abandon all firm ideals, and kiss her till she was quite ashamed, and her head hung on my bosom, with the night of her hair shield over me. 
then i placed the pearl ring back on the soft elastic bend of the finger she held up to scold me and on my own smallest finger drew the heavy hoop she had given me i considered this with satisfaction until my darling recovered herself and then i began very gravely about it to keep her if i could from chiding me mistress lorna this is not the ring of an, any giant it is nothing more nor less than a very ancient thumb ring such as once in my father's time was ploughed up out of the ground in our farm and sent to learned doctors who told us all about it but kept the ring for their trouble i will accept it my own one love and it shall go to my grave with me and so it shall unless there be villains who would dare to rob the dead now i have spoken about this ring though i scarcely meant to do so and would rather keep to myself things so very holy because it holds an important part in the history of my lorna i asked her where the glass necklace was from which the ring was fastened and which she had worn in her childhood and she answered that she hardly knew but remembered that her grandfather had begged her to give it up to him when she was ten years old or so and had promised to keep it for her until she could take care of it at the same time giving her back the ring and fastening it from her pretty neck and telling her to be proud of it and so she always had been and now from her sweet breast she took it and it became john ridd's delight all this or at least great part of it i told my mother truly according to my promise and she was greatly pleased with lorna for having been so good to me and for speaking so very sensibly and then she looked at the great gold ring but could not by no means interpret it only she was quite certain as indeed i myself was that it must have belonged to an ancient race of great consideration and high rank in their time upon which i was for taking it off lest it should be degraded by a common farmer's finger but mother said no with tears in her eyes if the common farmer had won the great lady of the ancient race what were rings and old-world trinkets when compared to the living jewel being quite of her opinion in this and loving the ring which had no gem in it as the token of my priceless gem i resolved to wear it at any cost except when i should be ploughing or doing things likely to break it although i must own that it felt very queer for i never had throttled a finger before and it looked very queer for a length of time upon my great hard-working hand and before i got used to my ring or people could think that it belonged to me plain and ungarnished though it was and before i went to see lorna again having failed to find any necessity and remembering my duty to mother we all had something else to think of not so pleasant and more puzzling end of chapter thirty five
Recording by Daisy 55